Hello, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural podcast for Real Talk. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about Avengers Infinity War, which is directed by the Russo brothers. Uh, but before we start that, we just want to give a quick introduction since this is the first podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Adams, and I will be one of your co hosts. And I'm joined by Shelby Jones. What's up? And so, in general, this podcast is going to cover movie review, movie reviews and some TV show reviews. Um, but we may also uh, dive into some other pop culture stuff along the way. So now I'll let Shelby take it over and give a little information uh, on his background and what brought him into this lifestyle that he lives. Well, it's a sad life, is what you need to know. But uh, really, Real Talk's been a decade plus in the making. I've been running a movie review website, Squid Flicks, since 2006. And we've never gotten a recorded audio serial kind of podcasting off the ground. We've done a lot of video reviews, but nothing audio. So here we are, trying to make a go at it. This is the time. And so, yeah, for me, I've just kind of been a fan of movies for the past few years. Um... And before that, not really much. Uh, but like I said, now we're getting to a point in our lives where we get to consume a lot of media, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Probably but bad. Probably very bad. Uh, so I guess without further ado, we'll get right into our initial reactions from Infinity War. So Shelby, what did you? What was your initial reaction after we watched it the first time? I am not a comic book movie guy, and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic on many levels. Yeah, so we actually went the first Thursday night that it came out, and we got to watch it in IMAX 3D. And for anybody out there that is thinking about which format they should watch this in, I would not suggest the 3D right off the bat. Because um, we've watched it since then in regular IMAX, and it is stunning. It is really good. Much less nauseating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you may want to vomit a few times watching it in 3D. Uh, so, yeah, my initial reaction was sort of the same thing, I, which I, I have actually read quite a few of the comics at this point. I never did read the Infinity Gauntlet series. Uh, I'm going to try to go back and do that. But, man, what a, what a fun movie to watch. That's the first thing I would say. Um uh, so yeah, you have anything to add to that? I mean, it was beautiful all around as far as as the shots. I don't think that any of the shots in space are as good as as they actually are in Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's still amazing to watch. Yeah, I think they just did a a good job of not only delivering the graphics, the video effects we expect from the Marvel movies that they've built up over the last decade, respectively, uh, and fantastic story to go with it you didn't even have to know necessarily everything that led up to it obviously it's more rewarding if you've watched the stuff before it but you don't have to go into the movie knowing every single marvel film there's really two or three you could watch beforehand to get a good refresher on it but even the layman could understand some of the stuff's going on and still enjoy the movie which i think's good because your mom and dad aren't going to know everything about marvel and they're going to come see the movie with you yeah and that helps that makes it approachable yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I guess we should talk a little bit about like what has led to this point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
So this is actually the 19th movie that the MCU has released, and it's been what a journey <laughs> from wow. from the I, well. What would technically be the first one? I guess Iron Man or... Do you want to count the Edward Norton Hulk? Is that <laughs> think, before? Do they count that? I think technically that counts as the, one of the Phase 1 movies, but I'm not sure. Some of us would like to forget that. that. Yeah, but. I think everyone would like to forget that. But it is the first one where the end scene has Nick Fury. You see Nick yes, Fury at the is. bar. So I, I would give it credit for having Nick Fury in it. Yeah. But uh, to see where it's come from there is quite impressive, so... So what do you okay? That's a this is a good point. Where what movies do you think you need to see in order to kind of catch up before Infinity War? Well, I think it helps. Obviously, it's technically considered part of the Avengers series, so it would probably help to watch all the Avengers movies. But if you haven't watched any of them, watching the Civil War really highlights the rift that ends up forming between half of the team. Uh, like I said, there's Guardians of the Galaxy would be helpful to get some of the backstory from some of the interstellar locations and characters. That's where Thanos is from. He's he's involved in the space side of things. And uh, Spider-Man Homecoming is good for building up the dynamic between Tony Stark and newest member of the Avengers on and off is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I think that... Well, the so Civil War is Captain America technically, but yeah, it's yeah. it's another Avengers movie yeah. pretty much. So yeah, the first Avengers where you have the attack on New York City, which is from Loki, who is actually acting as a He's Thanos puppet. At, yeah, as, as Thanos's puppet at that point, and then you have Age of Ultron, which is probably my least favorite out of. It the, is, but I guess it gives us the, the creation movies. of Vision by the end of it, and the use yeah, of the stone for sure. The uh, that the Infinity Stone involved in that, but yeah, I would say it's probably the weakest. You really don't have to know that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess Thor Ragnarok, obviously, too, leads immediately up to the beginning of Infinity War. So that one's pretty, and it's a fun one to watch. Yeah, I mean, really, if you're if you're following along with the MCU, you're going to be up to date with what's going on in this movie, and no matter what, you'll have seen a few of the Infinity Stones along the way. And so now I think what we're going to do is uh, get into some spoilers, which we haven't really spoiled anything yet, but we're going to go scene by scene and talk about our reactions to the scene, what we liked about it, what if we didn't like anything about it, what that was, um, and then we'll get into, uh, at the very end, just some uh, topics for discussion about what might come next, and then uh, some takeaways that we have from the movie. So first, opening scene, we have pans up, and we see Heimdall, uh, who is lying on the floor, and you see a destroyed Asgardian ship. So kind of like walk us through, Shelby, what you think like what you thought initially of the scene and seeing Thanos for the first time and then being able to see his lieutenants and uh so it, it just it opens up as a as terror and it really it opens up immediately following the events really the post credit scene in uh, Thor Ragnarok which is everybody at that point has escaped Asgard which got messed up don't want to spoil it, but we are in the smaller <laughs> section, so... Asgard is gone. I Asgard's mean, it's completely gone. destroyed. It's trash. All, 
what you know of the entire Asgardian population is on one refugee ship, and they are captured by Thanos' interceptor, his big warship. And, yeah, it opens up with flames and bodies everywhere. Heimdall's laying on the ground. Uh, the lieutenants are walking around. You've got the Ebony Maw opens up with his, with his monologue that you're here. You are being treated to the true glory that is being sacrificed for the greater good of the universe by Thanos. And you should be thankful for that. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. It was awesome. Terrifying. And Ebony Maw, by, I mean, on his own, is a terrifying villain. And just to think that he is underneath Thanos yeah, just makes you realize right off the bat what the stakes are of this movie. And then, so we actually see that Thanos already has the Power Stone in his gauntlet. And he actually gets that from the planet Xandar, which we see at the very end of Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 1. Uh, which was a while back. It was a while back. So there, is, there are some throwbacks, too. And there's a really great Easter egg later that I think is my favorite part of the movie, for sure, <laughs> as far as throwbacks go. Yes. So I think uh, like what we want to talk about in this first scene, too, is just how good Thanos looks. Because we've seen... Like, we're both huge DC fans as well, and we have seen how it can go wrong <laughs> with CGI yeah, and with a bad villain. Uh, and so it was nice, man. It was awesome to see that Thanos just looked great. We're not going to talk about Steppenwolf or, uh, or, the, CG, or the CG-removed <laughs> mustache on Henry Cavill. <laughs> I'm hoping the director's cut of Justice League's a little bit more refined. I mean, it has to be more refined than that. But yeah, Thanos. So just as soon as you see him, it's it, real. it pans up. He just looks great. Um, motion capture. I mean, you even see when he's got his arms flexed around the throats of his enemies. You can see the <laughs> muscles flex in his arm, like anatomically correctly. It's yeah. very impressive what they've done. The pores on his face. It's the scars, the scarring that he has from past, you know, victories and triumphs. I mean, he is... He's a bad dude. Looks amazing. And I'll say, too, Ebony Maw also looked great. I think him, Ebony Maw, and Call Obsidian, um, both CGI-wise, looked amazing. Yep. Um, Proxima Midnight probably left a little bit desired. Yeah, um, it, was, it was a few scenes that looked a little blurry. Yeah, But not sure. terrible. Not nearly as bad as anything else. And honestly, that's just nitpicking because they were all very realistic. But, I mean, if we're... Getting down to it. The big bad, the most important guy, looks like they put mostly... It looked like it was mostly real effects, not CGI. Yeah. yeah on, totally agree. On Josh Brolin, for sure. It was fantastic. Josh Brolin also just brings it the whole movie. Just, I mean, he has such a great performance. Uh, and I think that you really see with the motion capture, especially with... I think Planet of the Apes is the best to do it. Yep. With the um, facial, capturing facial... Yeah expressions but this is a close close second for me at i mean this you point. really you wouldn't think you could see emotions on an alien's face much less a titan's face but uh it really 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 seems like there's a true human being up there acting and truly they are but behind all the cg the motion capture is fantastic and that's yeah. a that's a huge boon to the technical work of that team and the credits if you had to sit there and watch <laughs> all the credits to get to the only scene after the credits you will see that there was a shit ton of people that worked on this a Literally. shit ton is correct there are so Literally. many vfx people on this it's insane uh, so props to them 
So I guess we should get to the important parts yeah. of the scene, which, like I said earlier, just immediately right off the bat establishes the stakes of the movie and and just lets you know what the Avengers are in for this movie. And they've been leading up to this. They, they yeah, expect they you to expect people to die, but this comes hidden heavy. Heimdall's half dead. Loki and Thor are the only other people alive on the ship that you know of initially. Thor and is beaten down Thor's at this been point. beaten down. Uh, so, yeah, so then you have um, Thanos who actually confronts um, Loki, and or doesn't confront Loki, but Loki comes out and, and As he wants does. to be He's a part hiding. of Thanos' group again, um, maybe as a ploy maybe he was being serious you can never know with loki but anyways when it comes down to it thanos kills loki and he just does it in the most brutal way possible which is just choking the life out of him absolutely and i think it's worth it's it's worth noting that loki does act a little bit less selfish i feel like in this and you've been accustomed to loki being absolutely unpredictable as he is the the god of tricks, but he does seem genuinely concerned, and he initially tries to give away Thor and pretend like he doesn't care, and he can't do it, and then he tries to get one last-ditch effort attacking the Thanos before he's ultimately taken out, and it seems like he actually may have turned the corner and may be more ally than enemy, and you could see that in Thor Ragnarok as well, but you just never know. It is Loki. So that was nice that he was able to redeem his character a little bit, even if he is gone, but who knows if he's really gone. But he was definitely dead in this movie, for sure. Yeah, I don't think he's coming he's, back. I, I think I think he may be dead dead, but we'll see what happens. But he does. He goes through the full variances of his character in that one scene. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah so Heim, Heimdall is actually killed by Corvus Glaive as well in that scene. But right before he is killed, he actually sends Hulk away to... His last job is gatekeeper. Yep. He sends Hulk away to the Sanctum Santorum after the Hulk was beaten down by Thanos. Oh, and I think that's that's important. We need to discuss that. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. The Hulk, this is a major theme in this movie, and it's, this is probably the biggest reason to watch Thor Ragnarok, is you get to see the true dichotomy between the Hulk and Bruce Banner and how different those two sides of the same person are. Uh, the Hulk absolutely gets his shit knocked by Thanos. And (laughs) we've never seen the Hulk get beaten so easily by any opponent to the point that I think for the rest of the movie, the Hulk refuses to come out and Bruce Banner has to actually be himself and actually seems to find himself in the strength inside himself. But the Hulk got beat and the Hulk is scared to come back out. And so that's going to be an issue in the future because I think that's what it was. I think he got his ass kicked and he was scared to face Thanos and the Hulk isn't scared of anybody usually. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I told Shelby after we watched it the first time, I think that may have been one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is the fight between Thanos and the Hulk. Just, God. And, and so... the Ma said, let him have his fun. Yeah. When the Hulk jumps out to fight <laughs> Thanos. Like, they, they weren't even, you know, there was no even match. Just with the Power Stone, Thanos is able to flick the Hulk away like a fly. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were wondering at that point what there was to show, like, you know that the stakes are not in the Avengers' favor. You're going to need more than a Hulk. Yeah, you're going to need more than a Hulk. Um, And so, yeah, we see the Hulk actually get transported through, uh, get get taken to Earth. And then uh, he actually crash lands in the Sanctum Sanctorum. 
and it's in New York City, and it's there that he changes back to Bruce Banner. And when he changes, uh, Stephen he is introduced to Doctor Strange yep. and Wong. He's never he's been gone for a while, and I can't remember what the timeline is in that. But Bruce Banner's been away from Earth for quite some time. Yeah, I'm trying to think how long it would actually be. I think it was after. the Hulkbuster and everything and Ultron, right? It was after Ultron. So sometime after Ultron, he's not been in a movie since Ultron, and then he showed up again in Thor Ragnarok, but he's on a different planet. Yeah. And Thor happens to run into him. But he's been gone for a while, and people didn't know, the Avengers didn't know where the hell he was. Like, he's been missing. Yeah. It's hard to keep tabs on people across the universe. He shows up in New York, and it's there that he sees Doctor Strange and Wong, and then pretty much almost... Immediately after that, uh, once they get Tony Stark, New York is attacked by uh, some of Thanos' lieutenants. And the lieutenants that you actually see are Ebony Maw and um, Call Obsidian. And they are two... I mean, for me, these... uh, Of Thanos' lieutenants, I think these are my two favorite. Uh, No offense to... No offense to Approximate Midnight and Corvus Glaive, but Cole Obsidian and Ebony Maw both seem like very formidable villains. They could probably be villains on their own. Yeah, I think they, they're definitely the most uh, ruthless of the lieutenants. They have, I mean, you can't even get a word out of out of uh, Cole because he's just <laughs> he's just a grunting animal. I mean, he's just all all force and no... No finesse, and then the Maw is just—he's a smooth talker, and he's got these ridiculous, like, I don't know, like physics manipulating powers, like magic. Yeah, it's, something. it's something crazy. I don't know what the source of his power is, but he is not to be messed with. He is like Professor Xavier he without really the wheelchair. Yeah, he, he is like—he's like ridiculous. Yeah, so. he's awesome. But like, I—I I have uh, written down here in our notes, like, what we really want to focus on are the are the interactions between the characters. And this is a theme throughout the movie. And this is one of the great things that the Avengers movies do is that they bring together characters that you would never see. It's like the odd couple. Yeah. They're having to figure out who the hell they are and what their powers are while taking each other seriously and then actually getting together to fight the enemy. So there's a lot of weird dynamics in play. But they make it, they make it work. And that's one of the, that in itself is, makes this movie a success is that they can take all these characters who on their own they have franchises that they could that they could lead and make them come together and work together to solve a common goal or not to solve a common goal you'll kind of see later on so yeah the so we have Doctor Strange interacting with Tony Stark which is hilarious you have one asshole telling another asshole that they're a bigger asshole. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a battle of two egos, and it's pretty yeah. great. Yeah, there's some great one-liners. There's some good good roasting in there. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, Doctor Strange actually calls uh, Tony Stark a douchebag in this movie. And it's... Because Tony Stark doesn't get called out very often, so it's kind of mm-hmm. nice to see, like, an intellectual equal call Tony Stark out in the shit, because I'm not... I'm, I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not a huge Tony Stark fan in all the Avengers movies. I think he's a dick for no reason, like 99% of the time. He can be. He can be a lot more diplomatic. I mean, there's times when that's okay, but, I mean, come on. When you compare him to, like, Captain America, who's just wholesome and believes in stuff, it's just like, who are you going to side with? I'm sorry. I'm Team Cap. 
but he's got cool gadgets. So it, it was nice to see Tony Stark kind of get brought down a notch by somebody else on the squad now. Yeah, it was nice. And um, also Wong, just oh, Wong. Wong's Doctor Wong. Strange, he was hilarious. You know, they had the running joke of him not ever laughing, and then eventually he cracks the, or uh, he laughs at the very end at one of Doctor Strange's crazy jokes. But anyways, Wong in this movie, great for the limited amount of time that you see him. Um, and then, so they actually get into a little bit of a battle in New York City with Ebony Maw and um, Cole Obsidian. And then we are introduced to Peter Parker in this movie. We are. Who is... A 15-year-old kid on a school bus. He is the baby <laughs> he of the group. He is the baby of the group, but, like, fast becoming one of my favorite Avengers just because I wasn't excited about watching Homecoming, I'll be honest. But once I watched it, it was, I mean, I really enjoyed it. And so, yeah, for me, Peter Parker and the way that Tom Holland plays him is just, I like it a lot. I think it adds a different dynamic to the Avengers than what we've seen before. I agree. It's, he's got a he's got a wholesome innocence to him that the uh, the Avengers are lacking. Everybody else is pretty serious and they're kind of full of themselves. And then like here comes the fifteen year old kid with his pop culture references and <laughs> lack of timing and grace. And it's pretty good. He's an awkward teenager who's got ridiculous superpowers that complements everybody else's powers. So. He can do a lot of stuff that they can't, so it's kind of cool. But he's yeah. definitely learning. He is definitely not a full-blown hero on his own yet. He's still fighting his eight legs. Rimshot. <laughs> uh, this is also the first time that we see Bruce Banner have trouble summoning the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, this happens in that first fight with Ebony Maw. As uh, Doctor Strange says, I take it your green friend won't be joining us. <laughs> so... It's pretty good. I got starts off, so Bruce has to figure out a way to contribute while not being the Hulk, because the Hulk refuses to come out. Because I say the Hulk's scared of Thanos. But he's not the only character that's scared of Thanos. Nor should he be the only character. But I was, there, there, is, a, there is a subcurrent in the movie. There are several of the so-called heroes that don't actually make very many moves towards fighting Thanos. And I'd say it was the Hulk and Rocket Raccoon. Both avoid. Yeah, Rocket gets they called never out. show up. They never show up to the fight. They're only there when Thanos is gone. So I thought that was interesting. Like, I didn't even think yeah, about that. Rocket doesn't show up until the end. But after it's too late to do anything. Spoilers, but you're already in the spoiler <laughs> section. So we see Ebony Maw actually uh, take Doctor Strange with him up to his ship. He gets out-wizarded. He gets out-wizarded. Wizards play a, a main joke theme in this yeah, first scene. Of they the make movie. a lot of a lot of really funny jokes about their powers, but you know the Maw's no no dude to be messed with. He bests Doctor Strange and gets him on board the ship. He pretty much bests Doctor Strange, Iron Man, and Peter Parker. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean that. That's again just to place to the just, strength of the villain. Just one of his lackeys, one of his cronies beats a team of three of the Avengers or, you know, the heroes of the you know, Earth and the universe as a whole. So and I mean shit, Dodge Strange is a master of time and space. He's a you know, the master of the mystical arts. <laughs> He's a wizard, Harry. So I I don't know. 
It's uh, it's pretty impressive that he's able to knock out three people, and you know Thanos doesn't have to show up. He's not even supervising, so he's yeah. got a bad bad crew with him. He does for sure. And then uh, so Doctor Strange gets taken up to the ship, and he is actually followed by Peter Parker and Iron Man. So we now have sort of a split in the characters. We have Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Peter Parker all on Ebony Maw's ship. Whereas Bruce Banner stays behind in New York with Wong. Wong then leaves Bruce Banner to guard the Sanctum Sanctorum because... That's his job. That's his job. Even though the Time Stone has left with <laughs> Doctor Strange. Yes, even though that. And so Bruce Banner actually makes the call to none other than Steve Rogers, the Captain America. Well, I guess it's important to, to bring up, like, Bruce Banner's like, well, why can't you just call Steve Rogers when Tony Stark's still around? And Tony's like, oh, you haven't been around, have you? Because Bruce doesn't know anything about the Avengers falling out, how they're not talking, how, you know, Captain America and Black Widow, they've, they've gone rogue. They're not part of the Avengers anymore because the Avengers are gone. They've been fugitives of the United States government at the Sokovia Accords, in, which were signed in Civil War. So... They've been gone. They've been gone for a few months, and Tony Stark does not maintain contact with them. So there's a strained dynamic there between the heroes. Yeah. Bruce has a lot to catch up on. He does. He's way behind. So he ends up having to learn on the run. But uh, he ends up making the call to Cap. But is it a call in time? All right. So we see Bruce Banner call Captain America. And then... What we're going to talk about next is we're more so going to focus on the groups, and these aren't necessarily in sequential order, um, but we're going to focus on the groups of characters. And then right after he calls Captain America, we get to be reintroduced to the Guardians of the Galaxy, the scoundrels. Plucky, but they don't know what it means. <laughs> plucky. Yes, they're very plucky. And so they're actually coming out of an interdimensional jump, and they uh, jump into what is the wreckage from the, sh the Asgardian ship, and they have Thor splat against their windshield. And so this is where we actually have the Guardians meeting Thor for the first time. So what were your initial thoughts on this meeting because we, we did see this in the trailers. Yes, yeah. And this is one of the, I mean, it's one of the more comedic sections of the movie, which one of the things I like about the movie is it still finds areas for comedic relief without being undercutting the seriousness of the actual whole movie. But uh, I, it's probably my favorite sections, for sure. But I kind of skew towards the Guardians of the Galaxy. Those are some of my favorite films in all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but it was great. There was a lot of back and forth. There's another power shift. Where, you know, Peter Quill's always, a.k.a. Star Wars, always had, a you know, an issue trying to assert his command over his motley crew. And, uh, you know, he's got a bunch of characters on that ship that, uh, that butt heads with him. So, it doesn't help when an actual god shows up and everybody's willing to listen to him over what Peter wants to do. So, he kind of loses some control of the ship and it's a pretty funny dynamic and there's some great, great commentary from Drax as always. Yeah, it's a great dynamic. And Drax, once again, is one of the funniest characters in the movie. Uh, Dave Bautista just 
killing it. I mean, he's in one of our favorite movies, I mean, he's Blade Runner 2049. And then the role that he plays in that movie and the role that he plays in this movie are completely different. Uh, but he's still that big dude. He's still Dave Bautista. He's still he's still big a ass wrestler. Big so. ass wrestler. I mean, the great. guy is huge. Uh, but yeah, he just man, he has some lines in the very first meeting that just leave you. I mean, the whole movie theater was cracking up. Oh yeah, they they laughed every single time I've been in there. I mean, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Pirate Angel. Yeah, Pirate it's his Angel. Name for Thor. Uh, he may have a little bit of a crush on Thor. We're not really sure at this point. He admires his muscles. I mean, who doesn't? That's all I'm going to say. But so, I mean, just to see the... It's awesome. This is another reason why I love the Avengers movies is that I'm a little biased. I'm more of a Thor fan. I read the comics. Uh, and even though the first two movies weren't great, I thought... Ragnarok was amazing. Yeah, I think Ragnarok's definitely, definitely my favorite of the three. I like the first one just because I like the setting of it and the uh, origin of the Tesseract and the implications of you know that whole World War Two Nazi Germany was trying to use it for its power thing. But Ragnarok redeemed the Thor franchise in my eyes. Yeah, definitely. Taka Waititi is. He's a hilarious guy. And, and there was a, a great movie. throwaway gag in that movie with the Infinity. Stones in the in the gauntlet in Odin's treasure chamber, like it's a, just a totally throwaway joke. For it, it breaks all continuity, but it's done on purpose, and it's pretty great. So, after this initial meeting, we see the group actually uh, they're going to split up to go on separate missions, um, and the split up kind of so we have Thor, Rocket, and Groot are actually going to head to Nidavellir, which is the neutron star that creates the most powerful weapons in the universe. It's like the special forge of all things destruction. Yeah. Where Thor's hammer came from. Yep. It's where God-killing weapons originate from. And they're going to need all the help they can get to kill (laughs) Thanos, who is truly, with just two power stones, or two infinity stones, is already surpassed God levels of power. Yeah. He has power in space control after he got the Tesseract and the Power Stone. so Definitely formidable, and I think just from, like Shelby said, just from having the two Infinity Stones by themselves, already the toughest villain that they face is the Collective. He took out the Hulk with just one stone. Yeah. So he's getting more powerful, and so they figure out that there's two stones on Earth, the Vision and Doctor Strange. That's the Mind Stone and the Time Stone. Mind Stone and Time Stone. And nobody, allegedly, nobody knows where the Soul Stone is. So that leads Thor to surmise that he's taken, he's gone to nowhere where the Collector is based to find the Reality Stone. And so they split up and he sends the Morons, which is everybody that's (laughs) not, his name for everybody that's not Rocket, Groot, and Thor himself to go after and stop Thanos from getting the third Infinity Stone and basically at that point becoming nearly unstoppable. I think it was actually Gamora's idea. I think it was Gamora's idea. But Gamora's holding a card close to the vest and that she knows where the Soul Stone is, but she hasn't told anybody except Nebula, which is revealed in, is that Guardians 2 that she reveals that? Yeah. Which is another. So 
There's some throwaway, what seems to be throwaway lines in some of the earlier movies that help fill in some backstory here, but not not necessarily required. They kind of lead you on enough yeah. to figure it out, fill in the blank context. And when I first, the first time we watched this, I thought to myself, I was like, this is kind of a plot hole. Like, yeah. why Gamora, knowing that she's the only person that has the information as to where the Soul Stone is, why would she go to a place that she knows she that knows Thanos is going to be? Yeah. But then, if you think about the character that they've developed over the two Guardians movies and how much um, how much she hates Thanos and how much she wants to kill him. Yep. It makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense later on in the movie. Well, we'll get to some of those parts later. But let's just say this. She has very strong feelings towards Thanos. Whether those be love or hate, they are strong. They're very strong. And so it makes... It made sense to me once I watched it the second time that she would want to go there because she wants a shot at the person. And truly being so close to Thanos, being his adopted daughter, the one that he actually really does care for, and you see that across the few movies that we've they've had interactions and you hear them speak, uh, you see that he really does care about her, and you get some backstory on you get a You get a flashback to when he first adopted her, even though it was a myth of genocide that... You know, he had his boy, the Ma, orchestrate while he was on the ground. But uh, there's, there is a strong feelings there. And she's got probably one of the best chances of anybody at least playing the psychological game with Thanos and maybe getting a cheap shot in, if possible. So, yeah, I see the strategy in that. But it is. It's risky. It's a very risky play, and it ends up being risky in the wrong direction. 100% agree. And there are, like, moments in this movie where I thought the same thing if of Peter Quill and some of the other characters, but if you really do look at the other films in the MCU, it, it follows what their characters would do. You, I mean, if we're not the ones writing the movies, but I mean, I would I would say that a lot of times they follow. Yeah, I think the continuity is pretty good. Yeah. And I think I think one of the biggest themes in this movie, one of the longer undercurrents, has been that people's inability to control their emotional hangups ends up causing more trouble because they make rash decisions and it hurts the whole team per se so that's they kind of continue this you see a lot of emotional decisions get made that aren't necessarily the best logic and so that's pretty realistic too like how clear would you think when all those stakes were on the line and you can't execute perfectly okay so uh moving on from that so we're going to follow first we're going to follow the morons because to nowhere. To nowhere. The morons are going to nowhere. Morons. So just a little recap. They are going to nowhere to try to stop Thanos from getting the Reality Stone from the Collector. The Reality Stone used to be the Ether mm-hmm. and Thor 2, the Dark World. Um, and so they, they hit it in plain sight with the Collector. And so once they get there, uh, once again we see Peter Quill kind of having trouble... Not trouble, but just... just they don't, the Guardians aren't known for their planning. Yeah. They don't really follow instructions very well. Yeah. I would I would agree with that. Even though it's Peter Quill's plan in the end. Yes. Almost gets the gauntlet off of Thanos. True. And his fault for the... the and he does sabotage him as well. Yeah. Uh, so we get there, and uh, we see Gamora actually kill Thanos. 
which the very first time watching it, I was like, that's interesting. I wonder what the hell's going on here. Uh-huh. There's no way this happens this way. Thought the same exact thing. And it's actually... Excuse me. So actually, as soon as she kills him and shows emotion, uh, we see that it's just a mirage. And he's already got the reality stone. Yeah. And he can manipulate now people's perception of reality, which is an incredibly powerful weapon. Um, and I think the reason why he used that, he didn't reveal that it was a charade until uh, Gamora showed emotion, was to see if there was actually a mutual love. Because I think that plays into whether or not he was going to be able to get the soul stone later. Yeah, for sure. And you see that she does still have... Very strong feelings. It is her adopted father. She does not know a parent outside of Thanos after she was rescued from her home planet. Rescued, air in quotes. quotes. Yeah, in air quotes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really very much, uh, it's a very, very difficult relationship, but it is still a family member that she thinks she kills. So, yeah, Um And it's kind of cool to see Thanos uh, get the new Infinity Stones because he kind of goes, each Infinity Stone he gets, if you notice, he kind of goes through like a tutorial phase Yeah, where he uses it for the first time or gets you get to see to its use. power. Yeah. And I think one of the best continuity and graphical effects of this movie is every time he invokes a power, you can see which stones he's using mm-hmm. to do what. And you start to learn, okay, this is using the reality and power stone or this is using the time and the Space stone, it's great. Like the stones on his gauntlet light up to whatever he's using. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Really cool. It's like a little Easter egg. Once you watch it a couple times, you start watching little shit like that, and it's pretty cool to see that. And he definitely, he definitely relies on the power stone a lot, which it makes power stone's a tenant because he's had it the longest. And power stone's gonna be the cornerstone of a lot of it. But he really does use the power stone and uses the the space stone a lot, which lets him teleport anywhere he wants to. Which who wouldn't? And those are his first two that he gets, yep. so, so he's got the he'd most be time more with comfortable him. with those, or most comfortable with those. Uh, so then we see um, Thanos actually, not, I guess, yeah, I guess he kidnaps Gamora again. Yep. Takes her back. For the second time in her life. <laughs> it's love. It's love. Yeah. He, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool how he does it, too, because he uses the reality stone to, he, I thought he killed Drax. And yeah, uh, he, he did. He actually shows, and that's another thing that, that another kind of underpinning the movie. He actually shows a lot of mercy when he really doesn't have to. I mean, he's still a villain. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but it's very interesting. He has a lot of opportunities to kill off his most formidable opponents, which are the heroes of the movie, and he chooses not to. He really just impedes their movement or otherwise gets them out of the way because his end goal is to wipe out half of life without any bias in the universe. And so, it's interesting. He does not, he has a perfect opportunity to kill, he can kill everybody on nowhere with the three stones that he has in his possession, but he does not. Yeah, I guess the only person that's dead is a collector, really, but we don't know for sure. I'm assuming he is. Yeah, we didn't see a body, but we can assume the whole planet was... It was on fire. On so. fire, yeah. Um, so he kidnaps Gamora, and he actually takes Gamora back to his ship. And then while there, we see his other adopted daughter, Nebula. And she, this, this is a really cool scene yes. because she is taken apart. Like disassembled in space-time yeah. using the space and power stone. 
Because she is, she's, if you don't know who Nebula is, so you're not familiar, she's mostly cyborg at this point. She's very little organic because Thanos made her and Gamora fight when they were kids. And every time Gamora won, he replaced a part of Nebula with, you know, cybernetics. So she's never beat Gamora ever was the kind of long-running thing until Guardians 2. So she's a robot and she's completely disassembled and being tortured. And that's how that's how Thanos really gets the information from Gamora is he's just torturing her her sister. And she's a robot, and she records everything cybernetically, which is unfortunate because she records all conversation. That includes the conversation with Gamora, and so that's how Thanos Thanos knew before he ever kidnapped. Yeah, I think Gamora. he had a hunch for sure. He knew he knew, and he wanted to get Gamora to try to admit it without you know having to show that he was torturing her sister who he obviously does not care for, and that's that's kind of also a current. Is she never really cared about Nebula. He's always liked Gamora. And so he gets the information, and they find out where the Soul Stone is. And the Soul Stone is on Vermeer. Which is probably this the coolest scene in the movie, I thought, was the scene on Vermeer. Vermeer. I yeah, like that it was. The planet's gorgeous. It's creepy. It's quiet. It reminds me of something you see in Interstellar. It's just unsettling. Yeah, so they, this always kills me with movies, they showed up at like the bottom of oh, the mountain. Yeah. Like you have, you have the space stone, why not just show up on the top of the mountain? I never understand that. Because you have to let the story fall, you know, organically. Yeah. It's just, it wouldn't be as exciting if they showed up right at the climax, you know? It was fun in that. It, for me, this was uh, the prettiest, probably like space yeah. set that we yeah. see in the movie. It's like a planet eternally under the light of an eclipsed star yeah. so it's like always dim twilight and it's just like weird shallow oceans and there's not really anything else to it but this weird stone temple on top of a mountain yeah which is really symbolic you know you know some shit's gonna go down when you see a temple on top of the mountain so i think the soul stone is the only stone that requires something yep. from the person who possesses it and as you know well, I kind of skipped a part, but they, so they land on Vermeer, and then that is where they actually meet Red Skull from. Ooh, throwback. Haven't seen him in a while. Big throwback. Um, which is funny, like, did you know, he's not actually played by the same person that yeah. plays Red Skull. Yeah. Um, which I really, honestly, if they brought back the original, it probably would have, like, thrown up some red flags. Like, why is this guy showing up on the set of the... So I'm not sure if they did do it because of contractual dispute or if it was to keep people that are like really nosy about production not figuring out that Red Skull had a part, a bit part in this movie. So Red Skull is the is the keeper of the Soul Stone now, being doomed to guard it after failing to possess it in his own adventure, which was gosh, that was first Captain America, right? That would have been in the thirties? Yeah. I mean, he's been gone for a while. And he was played by Hugo Weaving yeah. in the original movie. And then in this one, he's played by a guy who imitates Hugo Weaving's voice. Yeah. Which you can tell a little bit. Um, but I will admit, first time we watched it, thought for sure it was Hugo Weaving. I mean, I was more shocked that it was Red Skull. Because I thought yeah. he just disappeared into nothing. But, I mean, really, he has. I guess he got, he got ripped apart space-time, and now he's the Guardian of the Soul Stone because he tried to... He's not the only person that's tried to hold a soul, uh, an Infinity Stone barehanded, 
which should go to show how powerful <laughs> these things are. And Thanos has three of them on a gauntlet on his hand right now at this point in the movie. Uh, people have just been exploded for just merely touching one. So, so yeah, this kind of leads us to, uh, you know, Red Skull even says there's a price to pay for holding the Soul Stone, and Thanos says that he's prepared to pay that price. And so that immediately, you know, makes you wonder what, what exactly is that price. It's like, how could a guy this evil care about anything to pay yeah. sacrifices? Yeah, so then we find out that the price is sacrificing something that you love. Um, and it turns out the only thing that he loves is Gamora. Truly. Yeah. Does love her. Even if it's misplaced in a lot of directions, he does care for her. And he has to sacrifice his only daughter that he considers a daughter to get the stone. And he can fulfill his destiny, which he kind of has a monologue about that before he tosses her over the ledge. But, uh, so yeah, he, that's... And he, he cries. like He actually shows true remorse for it, even though, I mean, you could say, well, he didn't really have to do that. But he's man on a mission he says he's been waiting to fulfill his destiny for too long so yeah i wonder how old thanos actually is i don't know that'd be interesting to know because he's apparently everybody talks about him he's been on this terror he's been destroying planets one by one for a while now and he's just trying to speed up the process with the infinity stones so yeah and i imagine he's probably gonna be at least 100 something years old i mean surely i mean i don't know how long titans live but he has to be more than that i mean he's got to be ancient though because but Thor is... Thor is 1,500 years old, yeah. he says. So I'd say, I bet Thanos is close to that, too. He might be. In the very least, he's got to be at least five or 600 years old. To be to have destroyed as many planets as he have and to be as feared as he is across the galaxy, or I guess the universe, um, he's, he's a bad dude. All right, all right. So sorry to get off on that tangent. Uh, so, yeah, we see What him. is a Thanos movie? It's not really an Avengers it is. It is... That, yeah, I meant to say at the beginning, if you go into this thinking that this is an Avengers movie, which it's titled the Avengers. Only Avengers part, the only Avengers you get is the theme song when the Avengers yeah. assemble. That's about it. This is more than anything a Thanos origin story and and a story that describes Thanos's I don't want to say journey to becoming a hero, but definitely his journey to becoming whatever he is, hero he's or a, villain. He's a morally gray superpower is what he is he's got a lot of destruction wielded but he is truly a, he's like a chaotic neutral he really is a pretty neutral character but he's got some pretty vicious memes yeah so. yeah i heard someone i was listening to the empire podcast and they were talking about how his reasoning for what he does is right the outcome for what will happen to the galaxy if the population keeps growing and the resources don't keep growing. That's right, too. But it's how he gets to that, how he wants to fix that problem that's wrong. You know, like, there's overpopulation, there's not enough resources. His idea is to indiscriminately commit to kill half the people in the universe. Yep. Um, now, of course... That's wrong. Genocide's bad, kids. Genocide, right. yeah. Don't do genocide. genocide all right. But <laughs> that does solve the problem that's presented that Thanos uh, is 
is trying to get around. In a strictly utilitarian code of ethics, it is ethically acceptable to do what Thanos is doing. But people don't subscribe to that. That's a pretty rough school of ethics. I wouldn't recommend it. It is really emotionally detached ethics. So, so Gamora's dead. Gamora's gone. He sacrificed her uh, for the Soul Stone. And so he now has... Four. Four. Out of the six he needed. Yep. So he is a bad... Bad, bad dude now. Bad man. Alright, so as we said earlier, everything in this movie, these different scenes are really happening simultaneously, but you know, they can't show everything in split timelines at the same time. This is an episode of Rick and Morty. So, while everybody was hanging out and getting blasted on Nowhere... Back on Earth in Scotland, you've got Vision and Scarlet Witch hanging out, and they're really shirking their uh, superhero responsibilities to have a little, little private time. Yeah, th- this is. It was kind of a disjointed scene, yeah. honestly. It was a little weird. So, apparently, in since Age of Ultron and Civil War, in that time, uh, Vision, played by Paul Bettany, has figured out how to make himself look like a human. Um, but Scarlet Witch is supposed to be like 18 or 19. Like, she's young, too. Yeah, she's pretty young. I think she's... Like, because her her and her brother were both really young in Age of Ultron. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but anyways... It's weird. There's some kind of... There's some kind of implied sexual relationship... However, sexual of you know AI robot, you know weird phasing thing can be with a mutant superpowered human being. But <laughs> and of course, if you were going to pick any f- human form, you would choose the present day Paul Bettany. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, why not? Hundred percent. So yeah, in Scotland. So it makes sense. They're on like a two week hiatus where Vision is Vision has been thinking about completely. Um, foregoing his duties as a hero at this point. He wants to just get on a train with Scarlet Witch and leave. And they're also out of touch with Tony Stark. Yep. No one has any idea where they're at. And that's important because Vision has the Mind Stone. Minor detail. He is going to be hunted down. He's pretty important in this movie. He needs to stick with everybody. And so it's in Scotland that we actually see... Uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision confronted by Midnight Proxima and Glaive. And so, first thing that happens, which also super jumpy moment in the oh, film. Oh, yeah. I actually, this is a fourth time watching it today, and I finally didn't jump at the scene. But I also credit to also being farther away from the screen. I've been pretty close to the screen the first three watching. <laughs> so, and that scene was uh, Corvus Glaive stabbing Vision through the chest or something. I was like through his, I mean, it was through his torso and it yeah. actually, it, and that was another thing that I finally thought of in this, this watching was Vision should have been, Vision is one of the heroes that is probably the most powerful and could have faced oh, Thanos he's, pretty he's well. He's OP for sure. He is and overpowered beyond. He gets so yeah. damaged by this surprise attack that he he's actually weakened for the rest of the movie. He cannot phase anymore and that's like his number one ability and it really sets the tone like, the Avengers take a huge loss with Vision being as seriously injured as he gets in this conflict. And yeah. I think it changes the movie. I think it makes them more vulnerable as a group. I think so, too. And I think 
that it would have vision in the past few movies is so overpowered that anytime he's in a fight that fight is pretty much over so it was interesting to see that they almost had to do it i think yeah but it made me wonder is there i wonder if there's like something special about glaives what is what is with that weapon that and i'm thinking it must have been they must have known who they were going after and it must have been some kind of special alloy or something that messed up his ability because i mean he takes damage and he's still able to use his powers, but he absolutely gets wrecked in this. Like he cannot use his powers like he's accustomed to. Yeah, and that changes everything. From that point on in the movie, he is not useless, but very close. Yeah, I mean he's he's useless. much more mortal than he's ever been, and I mean he's a damn AI robot. Um, they barely escape with their lives, and this is only due to the fact that Captain America. Um, the entourage. The, and the entourage showed up uh, and saved them. And this is this is the rogue. This is the other half of the Avengers. They've been on the lamb since the breakup in Civil War. And it's just it's just Steve Rogers and Black Widow and Sam Wilson. And it's supposed to be Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch is with them, but she had shirked her duty. And you know, she's kind of messing around and eloping with Vision, who's still technically part of Rhodey and the and what you'd say is the Avengers, which is just really <laughs> Iron Man and Warhog, right? That's it. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing else there. They kind of live at the Avengers compound, so right. No. You get the bridging of the gap a little bit by them saving Vision. Who, I mean, they're still friends. They still like each other, but they've been on the outs since Civil War, so they haven't been talking. Yeah. So we see that they actually travel to the Avengers complex, and this is where they meet up with Rhodey, and they decide that the only place that they could go. That could, where they could possibly remove Vision Stone. Yeah, remove the Mind Stone is in Wakanda, and also at the Avengers Complex, they meet up with Bruce Banner again. Who they haven't seen in a while, and it's and as awkward as you expected yep. to be. It's Helm and Black Widow. Black Widow may or may not have a thing with Captain America now. That's unconfirmed. Just but in originally, my mind. Bruce was you know <laughs> first love, and you can still see a little chemistry in the stare. I feel like you know. Although Bruce's heart really belongs to Bucky, so it's that's true. the only thing it's that true. matters. So, our heroes on Earth right now are currently heading to Wakanda to get the stone out of Vision's head. And we haven't talked about them in a while, but we actually have another group that is currently in space, and that is that is Peter Parker, Tony Stark, and Stephen Strange. And the Maw. And Ma. So last time we left uh, with them, Peter and Tony had boarded this uh, the ship that Ma is in, and it is headed somewhere in the galaxy. They're not sure where, but they know that Ma has Doctor Strange, and that he is currently in the process of trying to get the Time Stone from Doctor Strange. He can't do it physically, so he's resorting to torture, which is an awesome scene in the movie actually yeah it is pretty pretty intimidating i did not anticipate this scene going the way it did honestly i thought it'd be a little bit more uh troublesome than to get out of it yeah uh, this ends up being the first time that uh, peter's pop culture knowledge helps the team and tony stark's very reluctant to hear the suggestion but uh it does it works pretty well from that really really old movie aliens yeah, Spider-Man loves his throwback movies, and this is really evident in this scene. 
on the ship, and he, like Shelby said, comes up with a plan from the really old movie Aliens, and they actually, I guess Ma's dead? Yeah, I mean, he, they, they blow a hole in the side of the ship, and he gets sucked out, and they almost lose Doctor Strange to the same vacuum effect, but uh, no, he gets sucked out in space, and he's all frozen up, so I can't imagine he's in a good way. But, I don't know, he could be alive, who knows. Yeah, this is also the first time we see Spider-Man in his new armor. Yep, which is the Tony Stark special. The yeah, the nanotech. It's uh, pretty nifty. Pretty nifty. So, once they, once they rescue Strange, they then have a choice to make. They can choose, one, to turn the ship around, or try to turn the ship around and head back to Earth. Or they can just ride it out to wherever the ship is going. Um, and kind of the problem they run into is that you know, Tony's been having these visions ever since the attack on New York. Yeah, ever since the attack on New York. And so he thinks that the only way to actually surprise and get a jump on Thanos is to do something that Thanos would never expect them to do, which is to go ahead and travel with the ship. They don't know where it's going, but eventually it goes to Titan. And I like the reasoning on that. I thought that was reasonable. Uh, but it under lines out another issue you see in this movie with Tony Stark's got this hang up with Thanos. Thanos has been inside his head. Thanos took the fight to them in the first Avengers. He hired Loki. We we covered that earlier in the podcast, and so he really he's scared of Thanos. He's legitimately terrified of Thanos. I think other people don't really know who he is yet, and it's kind of the same thing where. You know, Bruce Banner can't get the Hulk to come back out after his encounter with Thanos. Like, Thanos is really, really weakening these, what we thought were unstoppable heroes and really making them be more cowardly and cautious than we've seen them ever be before. And so, I was really, there's a, there's a part in that scene where Doctor Strange is like, can you turn this ship around? And Tony's acting like, I don't know for a minute, was he really even capable of turning the ship around if he could? Like, was it fear? Did he legitimately not know? Was he, He's so out of his element right now, does he really even... Would he have been able to turn the ship around to Earth if they wanted to go back to Earth? I'm not 100% sure. I think they were stuck on that ship too tight, but I think he kind of justifies that plan by saying he'd rather take the fight to Thanos, but I, I wonder if he actually even knew how to fucking navigate that ship. That was interesting, but... They go to, they're going to go Titan, because what does Thanos expect on Titan? He told all of his lieutenants to rendezvous there when they get the stones from Earth. And as far as he knows, that plan's still going well, which we know it's not because we've seen the uh, timelines unfold. But while he's been busy getting the other two stones he wanted to, the two stones on Earth, as far as he knows, are in good hands and heading towards him on Titan so he can load up and do all his uh, good stuff from Titan. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on a good point is the fact that one of I think one of Iron Man's biggest strengths is that he is extremely confident, and I think that in a lot of the movies he's almost impenetrable when it comes to like the psychological aspect of being a hero, and Thanos really destroys him on that on that playing field, and so yeah, so now we're headed off to Titan, and once they get there. Um, once they get there, they actually meet up with another group of our heroes that we talked about earlier, and those are the Morons. The Morons, <laughs> yes. You were the Morons. The Morons split off from Thor and 
and uh, Rocket and Groot. And now they're down Gamora because Thanos got Gamora from him on Nowhere. But the rest of the morons went to, went to Titan. Yeah. And so the rest of them, we got Quill, we got Drax, and we have Man Mantis. Yep, Mantis. Yeah. So um, we see they actually run into each other. So we have Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Doctor Strange run into Peter Quill, Drax, and Mantis. They get into a little bit of a standoff, and yeah, they don't really know who they're working for, and so the uh, basically the you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy meet the Avengers without Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so and it's it's a great scene, and the group dynamic throughout the movie is really is something that's special to watch, and uh, especially when they get to Titan, it is even better. Yeah, because I never I never really knew how much I wanted to see a movie with Tony Stark and Peter Quill together until it happened. and Very conflicting styles of team management. Whereas Tony's a very, he's micromanaging and demanding and wants to do a plan, and the Guardians don't do plans. They just kind of wing it. They like to uh, kick names and take ass. <laughs> as Drax and Mantis put it. Drax and Mantis, like, unsung heroes. Drax especially, he is, God, he is so funny. He is the delightful idiot of Marvel. He for sure is. And then, so, as they're on Titan, Thanos actually arrives at Titan. And at this point in the storyline, he now has four. He has four. He has four. He has four. He's missing the time stone and the mind stone. Right. But he does know that Ma did one thing right, even though Ma is not there. The time stone is on Titan. With right. Doctor Strange, so he is surrounded by five stones at this point. Yep, he doesn't have the time stone, but he's damn near close to being unstoppable at this yeah. point. Yeah, I mean, I think even Gamora even says earlier on in the story, with two stones, he's the most powerful yep. villain in the universe. And so you can even with four of them, with four of the stones, you can imagine how powerful he is. Um, we see. Uh, <laughs> We see Tony and Star-Lord kind of go back and forth on what the plan should be. And then we, um, and then they actually go with Star-Lord's Star plan. And it works to perfection. Yes. And this is the part of the movie where, of course, you wonder why uh, Star-Lord's character had to do this. But he ends up, I mean, he fucks the whole plan up. They almost have the gauntlet off his hand as a team, and Star-Lord loses his cool when he finally realizes that Gamora was killed, and basically lets it slip out of their hands. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough to see it, but it kind of it, it's kind of nice to see that style of them never having a plan coming back to really bite them in the ass because I feel like the Guardians have gotten away with never having a plan and stuff just kind of accidentally falls in their favor. But this time, Peter Quill makes a pretty, pretty bad mistake and you could even call him somewhat of a villain at that point because what he does is he lets Thanos get away with everything else that happens for the rest of the movie. They had a chance to stop him on Titan they had no business having any chance, but they did. They almost pulled it off and literally let it slip through their hands. So I think yeah. it's a really dark light for, for Quill. It is, and it's another moment in the movie where 
at face value, I thought to myself that there's no way that his character would ever do something like that. But, I mean, I've watched the past two Guardians of the Galaxies since then, and like Shelby said, their plans are so unstructured in the first place that, I mean, you could see something like that maybe happening through his character. But yeah, he at that point, literally everything that happens after that could be uh, Quill's fault. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's something that Doctor Strange actually saw in his visions. He probably did. I mean, I, I would like to think yeah. he did. But still, it sucks that has to be the way the plan fell because really... It, it really, it's probably the last turn where the movie has some comedy in it, and it just goes dark, and it stays dark for the rest of the movie. That's that's the last turn, is they have that funny banter at the beginning when they all meet, and they have a pretty successful battle where they all play on their strengths, and they have a very creative way of trapping Thanos, and then the rug just gets pulled out from underneath you, and it just goes from zero to 60, dark, dark, dark. Yeah, so, so the the battle pretty much falls apart as Thanos gains uh, control of the gauntlet again. And uh, at the end of the battle, he actually has Tony's life in his hands. Yep. And it's at that point that Doctor Strange actually asks Thanos to spare Tony's life for the Time Stone. Which is surprising given the dynamic. But once again, he wouldn't have made this sacrifice unless he knew this is probably what had to be done. Right. And he even, he says to Thanos, he, well, he doesn't say to Thanos, he looks at Tony, and he tells Tony, we're in the end game now. So, it's tough to think that Doctor Strange, that this is not the one outcome where they win in the 14 million, giving, giving up the time stone of had a fight and bargaining for Tony Stark's life is the one winning scenario. Is giving Thanos all the stones. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be very productive. And we'll kind of talk a little bit later. We'll talk about what this means for the future and for the next Avengers movie because I think that has some big consequences of why he wants to keep Tony alive. So at that point, Thanos uh, then leaves Titan. Yep, he's done. He's got yep. what he wanted. So he is now in control of five out of the six stones. Um, and so the only stone left is really... The Mind Stone, which is in Wakanda. But before we go back to Wakanda, we have another group out there that we haven't talked about in a while, and that is Thor, Groot, and Rocket. And the, the non-idiots. The non-morons. Non-morons. <laughs> and so they are actually uh, on their way to a place called Nidavellir, and this is the place where Thor's hammer was actually crafted, and it is the dying heart of a neutron star. Doesn't make any sense. Don't think about it too much because if it was, in fact, a dying neutron star, it'd have so much gravity at yeah, this it point. Would, it's a black hole. Yeah. It's an unstable black hole. So but, don't think about it too yeah. much. Just a star. But it's one of the realms that Asgard is supposed to protect. So it's like one of the pseudo mythical, you know heavenly places that are it's it's tied into the asgardians and all that kind of stuff so they get some leeway with with realistic physics i guess so yeah they do and it's a marvel it's, yeah, it's a it's a marvel, marvel movie, movie. It's, whatever. It's, it's whatever neil degrasse tyson wouldn't agree but you know it's fine it's fine it's, it's fine it's not interstellar it's like every time i watch sci-fi you just don't ever ask why anything happens but it does look it cool happens. it is a very cool 
yeah, it's awesome. location. It's like a machine built. It's a, a forge built around a star that heats it. So all the weaponry that the Asgardians use, weapons for gods and kings, are created there. Yeah. So, um, as I said earlier, this is Rocket, Groot, and Thor. And so when they get there, they find this place deserted, and they find the star is shut down. Um, the forge isn't working anymore. And so, of course, this is troubling because now they can't actually forge the weapon. Um, this is when they find. This is when it when it. Blah, blah, blah. Sorry about that. This is when they find, I tree. Is that how you say it? I tree. I tree. That's that sounds right. I tree. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I forget how they pronounce it in the movie. But this is played by Peter Dinklage, who is, if you do not know, a small person. Correct. Politically yes. correct term. Yes, Peter Dinklage, awesome actor, also plays Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones. Um, He's made a good career out of being who he is. Yeah, I, I mean, He's I enjoy. I enjoy so. most of the stuff that he's in. And so they actually meet him there, and he is a dwarf giant, who is the head of the forge, or so we're led to believe. Yeah. And he actually creates the gauntlet for Thanos. When they when they roll up, and I, I, I feel super stupid. I was, I wanted to believe that maybe they roll up to this place. My initial, the very first time I watched it, I thought, oh shit, there's an extra gauntlet. Could they somehow like use it? And if they could get the other stones that Thanos didn't already have at that point, build a competing gauntlet and fight Thanos with it? Well, I don't think that's stupid. I think that could very that's well be... That's what I first be, thought. I think that... Since the forge was shut yeah. down, I thought they were going to have to find a weapon that was already there. I didn't see the story happening the way it did. We can talk about it later, but I think that's... I, for me, that is one... I don't think it's what's... I don't, I don't think that that is the way the plot's going to go in the second movie, but it's definitely a possibility. It's definitely still sitting there in they the They have the mold. Yep. So why, I mean... If someone is powerful enough in the group, the guilt. Any, we'll come back to that later. Yeah, We're getting yeah, off on sorry. the wrong topic. Okay, so it does show that when they land there. So it's a it's a forge and there's weapons laying around everywhere, but it's dot quiet and dark and shut down. Yeah, and contrary to the other planets that Thanos has been to, he actually kills everyone on this forge except for uh, except for uh, I Tree, and he doesn't kill I Tree, but he does. He, he does, I guess he puts his hands... His, his hands are like forge. molten together. Yeah. So like they're just steel fists that he can't manipulate his fingers anymore. So he can't do the the iron, like the working, the the casting like he used to. So he's like... I think he said Thanos told him that your hands belong to me. So Thanos doesn't want anybody else getting their hands on weapons that could stop him because he knows the value of this place. But I'm guessing he kept it around in case he needs more weapons in the future. So he didn't kill everybody, but he pretty well... Screwed up anybody else's chances of getting something that could stop him. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, at that point, they're just looking for a way to find a weapon that can take down Thanos. And this is where they come up with the idea to restart the forge. Once they restart the forge, they're going to actually mold this new enchanted battle axe that is going to be capable of killing Thanos. Stormbreaker. Come on, Stormbreaker. <laughs> it's a little much, according to Rocket. Yeah, 
Rocket also Rocket Bradley Cooper is Rocket in this movie is hilarious too. A lot he has a lot of great moments. So they end up actually getting Stormbreaker. It takes some sacrifice from both Thor and Groot. Teenage Groot finally does something for the team. He's been surly and moody teenager this entire time. Yeah, so he, he sacrifices, he cuts his arm off to be used as a handle for the axe. And so then Thor gets the axe, and this is where everything kind of comes together. So um, we now have a weapon that can fight a god. But at the moment, they are still on the other side of the galaxy. But it is important to note that this weapon can summon the Bifrost, just like everybody else. So they can get places quickly, but they're still on the other side of the universe, and we segue back to Wakanda, where everybody else is waiting. So everything's going to culminate in Wakanda. So, Yeah, it's pretty funny. Wakanda is supposed to be a place that no one... You're not supposed to know where nope. Wakanda is, but Thanos just turns up there, mm-hmm. and Thor just turns up there. Which, I mean, I can't. That can't work good. on their security. They gotta work on that. Obviously, this whole United Nations thing through, you know, didn't quite work out the way they wanted it to. It's possible they have a beacon there or something for both. And Thanos' um, lieutenants are there. So. Yeah. So, like, the, the war has already started by the time Thanos shows up. But we should probably set the stage for Wakanda. So. That's true. We should for sure do that first. So, we are in Wakanda. We see they take vision. This is where we first meet Prince T'Challa, this movie. And they take Vision to him and to his sister. And she comes up with a plan there to actually remove the, the um, Mind Stone from Vision's head. In a non-fatal way. In a non-fatal way. But it's going to take time. So basically they've got to stall. And time's not something that they have a lot of. Because as soon as she starts working on Vision, we actually have uh, Thanos' lieutenants and a large, maybe all of his army. I don't think it's all of it. I don't think it's all of it. Because that's, I just, and it took like the third time watching this to realize that's just the one ship they've had in orbit. It's just one of those circular ships off his gigantic ship, and it's got all those troop carriers in it shooting off the side of it. So it's just a fraction of what kind of army he can unleash on a planet. But it's enough to keep the uh, f- folks in Wakanda occupied. And then also in Wakanda, we see Bucky for the first time. Yep. The and White Wolf. The White Wolf. And this is, so Bucky is now actually, um, so this whole time that he's been in Wakanda, they've been working on Bucky to get rid of, of like the brainwashing. I guess, yeah, the beforehand. Winter Soldier programming yeah. deal. And they redid his arm. Doesn't have the, you know, the the red star anymore, which I kind of missed. I thought it was kind of badass. <laughs> Although the new arm is pretty is cool. badass. It's, I'm, I'm assuming it's made out of vibranium. Yeah, I'm assuming. Definitely. So, uh, it's pretty baller. But he's hopefully been cleansed of all the brainwashing, and he ends up getting dropped off there at the end of Civil War, right? What at the end credit scene in Civil War? Yep. So like true. he's been hidden in Wakanda because he's a fugitive to the rest of the world at that point. Because they all think that he's a cold-blooded killer all the time, but he was brainwashed. So that makes it okay, right? Uh, so this is the first time we get to see Bucky back again, and he's joined, reunited with his 
love with some better hair. Better hair. Longer hair. Longer hair. Luxurious yeah. hair. So luxurious. Yeah, so, I mean, the look in Cap's eyes whenever he sees Bucky for the first time. It's true love. It's true love. I mean, Cap's been growing this beard the whole time he's been gone just to take Bucky's place. But now he's back. So, I I mean, I fully expect to see Cap with no beard next time. Yep. Because the beard's back in the group. We don't need we don't need Cap for a little while. So yeah, so we have this set up. We now have our big fight in the movie set up, pretty much. We have the forces of the Avengers and Wakanda versus Thanos and his lieutenants and I guess really the foot soldiers. <clears throat> I mean, they're creepy as shit. They're like yeah. animals. They aren't even conscious beings. I don't know what they are. Like war dogs that they, unle- they unleash. They're just mindless. As, uh, as I said, it was we have blood to spare. T'Challa tells them they'll only find dust and blood if they try to take Wakanda. And they have, quote, blood to spare. So, they, uh, they definitely do. So we see this fight take place. Bruce Banner still can't transform into the Hulk. So he's actually in the Hulk Buster armor, which is which awesome. Which is a funny twist, yeah. you know, considering the last encounter between those two. So, yeah, uh... So while Shuri is, is working to extract the Mind Stone from Vision, we have our heroes going up against Thanos' army. So Thor, Rocket, and Groot are still away, as is Tony, as are Tony, Peter, and Doctor Strange. Yep. But the rest of them are all there. And so it starts out, and... They're kind of probing, the Thanos sources are kind of probing, the the force field in Wakanda is still up. They have not yet broken through the force field. And what happens is, these foot soldiers, these monsters they've unleashed, start pushing themselves through the barrier, and they're literally killing themselves to get through. But there's so many of them that a few start to finally get through the shield, just by sheer brute force. They're pushing themselves through the barrier, and they, uh, they start flanking. And so T'Challa makes the decision that in order to keep all the forces that are trying to invade Wakanda in front of them, they need to open up part of the force field. So he does. They open up one tiny little sliver, and that allows the entire invasion force to kind of be funneled in front of where they've set their defenses up. And it's a bloodbath. They start winning. They're, they're winning pretty handily to begin with, but they begin to get overwhelmed by just the sheer number of these endless hordes of alien monsters that comprise of Thanos' army, the foot soldiers. and Yeah, so this eventually leads to Scarlet Witch having to leave Vision's side. Yeah. So Scarlet Witch was guarding Vision, mm-hmm. and she is forced to come to the front lines yeah. to help. And so once she leaves, one of the lieutenants, um, I think it's Glaive, it yep. actually goes and he attacks Vision and Shuri. And the, they did not see Glaive appear, and the other two play it off as he died in their last encounter in Scotland. So it was actually really nice diversion technique on their, their part. They had no idea Glaive was alive, and Glaive was just waiting for an opportunity to sneak attack Vision whenever he was unguarded. And they pull it off. Yeah, and once the attack happens, it really goes downhill pretty quick for the Avengers. 
and that's when we see uh, Vision once again getting hurt uh, in the fighting, and the Avengers kind of get split apart. Yep, they kind of get busted up. They're yeah, spread apart. Uh, Banner goes to help Vision, and I we, mean it's pretty evident at this point that there's not going to be a way to get Vision Stone off of him without there being consequences because they're out of time they're out of time and then around this time we also see Thor be reintroduced to the group he comes back through the Bifrost Helm Groot and Rocket just when it was looking really really bad the Bifrost opens up and Thor appears and absolutely starts mowing down everybody with the Stormbreaker which is nice yeah very very desperately needed he's badass in this movie and Stormbreaker is awesome too. Yep. I don't know which one. I'll, I don't know if I, I think like I kind of like Stormbreaker better. more. Yeah. I think you can do cooler stuff with it. So, but Thor is the much needed reinforcement. Uh, he just he makes short work of the ground troops, and they're able to pick off the lieutenants and finally end them for good. And so we're left with everybody's hunting down Vision in the woods. Glaive still got Vision cornered, uh, and. It's really just a race against the clock for the rest of the Avengers to get onto Vision's position because Thanos is on his way. They know he's coming. Yeah. And Thanos shows up right after that. Oh, yeah. Um, and he can show up anytime, anywhere. He's all-powerful now. So Yeah, so this is, I mean, once Thanos gets the stone, it's game over for the Avengers and game over for the universe, really. So this is the last stand of the Avengers. And we see Thanos appear in Wakanda. And he's just got an entire line of heroes to go through. And you're like, okay, yeah, surely, we got a chance. So basically what they've done is they set up this defensive position. And Scarlet Witch is instructed by Vision to destroy the stone on his head with her with her powers, her ability. Which will kill us. Which will kill him. Yeah. It will kill him, but it's the only way to keep Thanos from getting the stone. You have to, they have to destroy it, and there's no other option, and they don't have time. So they're at the back of the line, and everybody else that's still left standing has got to at least slow Thanos down long enough for this to work. But, I mean, he just he tears through him like a hot knife through butter. Yeah. Really, no one can stand up to Thanos at this point. I guess Cap comes closest. He does. Cap lands some blows on him. Cap actually lands some blows, but most of the rest of them just get flicked off. Just flicked offside, just like they're nothing. They're just flies. What is he tells Cap at one point, he says, all of this for a little blood, because I think Cap cuts him. No, that was uh, Tony Stark. Goes through all that on Titan. All this for a little blood. Oh, that's right. It's that like Stark. Barely, it took everything he took, everything he had in the tank just to scratch him. But, I mean, Cap lands some punches, but he's just throwing them left and right like they're nothing. Uh, he phases the Hulkbuster into rocks. Like, the uh, Banner and the Hulkbuster didn't even land a blow on him. He just completely, I guess he's in the reality in Space Tones, just has him pass right through his body like a ghost, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. This is an awesome sequence of events where you actually get to see him use each and every one of five stones up to this point. Every stone. Yeah, and he's even, I mean, he's using multiple at the same time, and it's really cool because each stone will actually light up on his gauntlet yep. as he's using it. Oh, that was the nicest detail they had. Yeah, it was. So. It made it easy for people to follow. And so, like, while this is happening, 
Thor is still just destroying the ground forces. He's like on the other side of the battlefield and doesn't realize that Thanos is here. Like he's out just enjoying his new weapon, being a hero, being a badass, you know, slaughtering hundreds of foot soldiers. But this is all happening at the same time. Thanos is mowing through the rest of the Avengers, and it's it's game over. It's almost game over. And then, against all odds, Scarlet Witch actually manages to destroy the Mind Stone. And she has to hold Thanos off herself at the same time. But she does it. She does it. Because she she's <laughs> pretty damn strong, too. Uh, uh, but then, in another sick twist, Thanos just uses the Time Stone. I mean, yeah. He's got the Time Stone. So, he rewinds it. Rewinds it, goes back in time, and just tosses Scarlet Witch out of the way. And then, in one of, I know that, I know that Vision isn't technically human. He's not technically just a robot either. Yeah, I mean he's like a he's like an android of yeah. some kind. But really. this is a very this is it's probably brutal. one of the br- yeah most brutal deaths that we see in the movie up to this point. <laughs> and he just reaches in and grabs the Mind Stone out of Vision's head, and just Vision just it out. crumbles. He's, and I think that's probably one of the saddest parts of this movie is he literally has to die twice. He dies twice, mm-hmm. back to back. Yes, and everybody around him has to see him die twice, all for nothing. So yeah, so Thanos then he has all six stones and he actually puts the Mind Stone into his gauntlet, and right when he's about to snap his fingers, we see Thor come to the rescue we do I mean he's been just you know having fun with his new toy and he's been showing up at people the last, last and right. second possible here but he throws that sucker down and Thanos it's really honestly they stole this scene out of Dragon Ball Z okay this is a straight two Kamehameha waves against each other but you got Stormbreaker versus Infinity Gauntlet and Stormbreaker wins and it's not really a contest which was also surprising that was another thing that caught me off guard so, you've got this weapon. They've been hyping up the entire movie, and by God, it it uh it, it hits Thanos square in the chest. That's the only problem. A, yeah. It hits him square in the chest. That's the problem. And Thanos says it himself. He is he's very badly wounded, and had he not had the Infinity Gauntlet on, it would have been a fatal blow. Yeah, for sure. But Thor, just kind of kind of a glory hog at this point. Yeah. And Thanos says to him, "You should have went for the head." And it's at that moment that Thanos snaps his fingers. And that's when... It all goes down. Half of the universe is blinked away. And it's not in a blink. It happens over a series of... Staggering of scenes. and painful yeah. scenes that we have to all watch and suffer through. Yes, very painful. Uh, I mean, I guess for me, the worst one was Spider-Man. That's going to be everybody's, probably. I mean... Just the relationship that he built with Tony over Homecoming, and then in this movie, kind of looking up to to Tony as a mentor and really a father figure. I know in the comics, Tony is like Peter's father, and he actually, Peter takes over Stark Industries at some point. Um, So, but really, you have, you end up losing, you lose half the universe. There's no, it's all random, completely random, but there is an interesting pattern that develops, and what you have left standing are the original Avengers. All of the original Avengers are standing, 
and a couple of stragglers. You've got Nebula and you've got Rocket that are left of the Guardians kind of crew. So, okay, just a quick breakdown. Some of the some of the heroes that were lost, we have T'Challa, which no one yeah, would not thought have, would happen. Would not have said, would not have predicted that. One. Especially after the success of Black Panther. Yep. Uh, Groot, Maximoff, Wilson, Mantis, Drax, Quill, Doctor Strange, and Peter. And Bucky. And Bucky are all disintegrated. Or dis- disintegrated, they just melted. They cease to exist. Yeah, they like just... kind of turn into dust and evaporate, which is like super eerie. And it's just this dead... I think the sound on this part was great. It was just eerie. Everything goes still. Everything goes quiet. It's like an unnerving stillness. And then people just start kind of disappearing. And It's pretty good. It's a good, like, rapture slash apocalypse kind of, like, chilling moment. Yeah. And the only thought I had when I was watching this was it's actually not a awful way to go no. as far as mercy. Once again, I think it goes back to that whole Thanos and the mercy thing. He, Yes, he's committed genocide. He's waged war on these planets. He's been doing it manually. He's got blood on his hands, but his ultimate end goal was to be able to bring balance to the universe without hurting anybody and ceasing to ever existed. For the survivors, is obviously tremendously painful, but for the actual victims, is a pretty humane way to just not exist anymore. So, interesting that instead of using a giant weapon that would have, you know, maybe killed people through mechanical or chemical or biological means, he used supernatural time-space powers to just evaporate everybody. Um, But we see that this does kind of take a toll on Thanos. Uh, As we see later on, he's just on a planet resting by himself. And he's pretty badly damaged from using the, the gauntlet. The gauntlet looks melted or distorted and like just a tremendous amount of power going through a device that was never meant to be held by any any living creature really no person has ever held more than two stones and this dude's still standing he's obviously hurting but he's got a bit of a he's got a bit of a shuffle i think the injury he sustains from stormbreaker is actually still present so he's not in great shape but he's watching the sun rise over a great universe as he said he would yeah. So, I mean, we mentioned it earlier. This is more than anything a story about Thanos. And and the ending the ending really just buries the hatchet on that. This is yep. definitely Thanos' story. He definitely won round end. one. Yeah. Yeah, he, he won round one. And so that's really all that – that's all we have for the movie. And then – in the end credits, we actually see... Um, there's only one scene. There's Yeah, there's only one scene, and that's... They're in New York. Yep. I'm guessing it's New York. Yeah. And it's Nick Fury, and he's he's in the car with um, with Maria Hill. And we haven't seen them since Ultron, right? When was the last time they showed up? Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier? I think the... I can't Either remember. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's damn near almost as far back as Red Skull, Skull cause, uh Shield's broken up, and he's kind of been on the lam. Yeah. So. So they're in they're in a car, and all of a sudden people start crashing all around them. You see a helicopter in the background go down, and so they have no clue what's going on. They get out, 
and they find that in these cars that were crashed, no one was driving them. That those people had been van- had been disintegrated yeah. with the others. So this is like simultaneously. Yeah. This on the other side of the world, everybody else in Wakanda disappearing, and this is in New York, and it's showing the fallout for everyday normal people that Thanos's plan is unfolding. Yeah, so it definitely his his plans unfolding, and we see that New York is not um, is not different from the rest of the universe and loses half of its population. And right before Nick Fury disintegrates too. We actually see that he sends a page. It's on yep, a page. It's on a pager. It's on a pager, which right. is super interesting. It's, in, it's yeah. an interesting form of communication. But I'm hoping this gets explained, obviously, when this next. And it will. Out. It will get explained for sure. And he sends a page to Captain Marvel. As he's disintegrating, and of course, you almost get you got the obligatory. Samuel L. Jackson, F-bomb. He, he halfway says it when he disappears, but as he disappears and drops the transmitter, the, you just sit there. It's agonizing couple of seconds where it's blinking, 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 and it sends it, and the uh, Captain Marvel logo, the little star, appears on the screen. So our possible savior in the future. Possible. Possible. We, we have don't know where Captain Marvel. Been. We have Ant-Man, who could technically be in the quantum In the realm. quantum zone, so could have been spared. Yeah. And then you got other people. You don't know, you know, if uh, the ancillary people are still alive too. There's yeah. there's a lot of loose ends. There's hope out there, but. and there's very little hope, but there's some hope left. And remember, Doctor Strange said that this was the end game. This is the only way they win. So you've got to at least know that they've somehow it's gonna all work out in the end. And obviously, it's a damn comic book movie. You know, everything's gonna get wrecked on. You know, there's no lasting consequences in any comic book movie. They're not going to not make a Black Panther 2. Yeah. So, so, you know Black Panther's coming back. You know Guardians are coming back because yeah. they're making a third movie. Uh, so. That's, I mean, I wish going into the film I would not have, I, I wish I wouldn't have known that because as they were disintegrating, I was like, man, I know this isn't going to last because, of course, they're going to make another Black Panther. And I think that's probably the... Spider-Man Homecoming 2 is coming out soon. I just think think it's the one thing about comic books that's always bothered me. It's just (laughs) they have to evolve and they have to stay fresh and you can't just go off killing your franchise characters. But it kind of sucks never really having any permanence in any timeline because part of the creative process means you can just totally change things to suit your mood. And so this movie, while devastating will ultimately probably be wiped out once they figure out a creative way to get around timelines and dimensions and everything. Well, we so. know we know Captain Marvel is going to be set in the 90s. Yep. And Captain Marvel is going to be played by Brie Larson, which is, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm excited really cool. to see how that's going to play in because Captain Marvel is one of those characters that um, they're always... Like Captain Marvel's always a little overpowered, yeah. Like visions, so she definitely, she definitely is gonna play a big role. In I mean, whatever I she's kind of the, she's kind of the Marvel Superman, isn't she? Yeah, basically. She I mean, that's what she is. So I mean, everyone else is kind of worldly heroes, where she's a supernatural, universe, like yeah, universal alien. Galactic. I mean, she 
and you got to wonder where has she been this entire time? And this is what this yeah. movie's going to have no to set clue. up. Like, if she is so powerful and awesome, where the hell was she when Thanos showed up? Where was like, she on the? Like, where's she the been the entire on New time? York, Age of Ultron. Where's she been the last twenty years? So hopefully, I like how it's going to go back. It's going to be back, so they don't have to worry about tying up these these incidents that happened in the present. It's going to be a prequel that hopefully sets the stage for where the hell has she been for everything else? Because she was the original hero of Earth before everybody else kind of comes out of the woodwork. After they lost Captain America, you know, they there wasn't any other heroes until Captain Marvel was discovered. So it'll be nice to have a little bit of fleshing out of the events that led up to all this. And Ant-Man and Wasp is coming out this summer. and Coming out in July. I mean, it's coming out very soon, and yeah. I guess it's going to happen... Technically, it's, it happens right before this? Or? It's, I think it's supposed to happen right before and then kind of at the same time. Yeah. The, what people have been theorizing is that they're in the quantum realm whenever Thanos snaps his finger, and so they're therefore not affected yeah. by the snap. Which, actually, with all the loose physics being played, is probably a very, very good explanation for why things couldn't affect you, because that is a very different dimension to be in. Yeah. But... Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that movie, because, I mean, obviously it's Marvel and they're pumping out more movies after this life-changing, character-killing blockbuster. So it'll be interesting to see if they if they give us anything at all or if what I'm thinking, they're not going to give us anything at all and it's just going to be like this fun, it's going to happen right before and during, but I don't think it's going to actually address any of it at all. We're going to have a movie maybe insulated. To. I'd be nice. It'd be nice, I but I would not be surprised to see him try to withhold information. The next Avengers is only a year away. It's true. This. So I'm hoping at least there's end credit scenes, but I'm not going to bank on it. I would like yeah. to see something, but I could very well see them being dicks about it and not giving us anything and just make us wait even that much longer. Yeah. Just to make the pain of it. Just you know, stick a little bit of a knife in those wounds. Ant-Man 1 wasn't essential to the and it universe. Wasn't. And that's, why, that's what makes me think that. Is Ant-Man, while it's a great character and it adds to it, it really is, you know, he's kind of ancillary to the main events usually. Yeah. So he's got a value on the team, but his adventures are on a, a, a smaller scale, literally, than most others. But <laughs> the Quantum Zone will add a new twist to it, and I think that'll hopefully we'll get something, something out of it. It's going to be a fun movie. I, I'm still going to watch yeah, it, but I'm not going into it expecting them to flesh out the Infinity War timeline. I'll be delightfully surprised if they give us more than just a nod to it. So I don't. I, don't I feel like they have to. They have to. After they're going such to have a to. dark Infinity War, they're going to give us something light and. It, but this, I'm thinking, it's just the it's the sugar after that bitter bitter pill that yeah. was Infinity War. But I loved it. I thought it was oh. great. I thought Thanos was a fantastic. Josh Brolin was absolutely... It is probably my favorite Marvel movie. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, for me, I would say... One of them. I mean, I like Guardians of the Galaxy. It's hard. Funny. Yeah. It's always hard. I've always thought the first Avengers was the best was film. Good too. <clears throat> so it's hard to say where this one will rank. I probably need to watch it at least 32 20, more times. 25. I think, maybe not even the movie, I think that uh, Thanos has always been one of my kind of favorites. I kind of skew towards the villains because I'm a sociopath, but 
Thanos is a villain who was not... He's a morally gray superpower. And I think that really gives you a lot more to chew on. And I think it, it's not as easy to hate an enemy, in quote, air quotes, when you realize how conflicted and how... Kind of like the Vulture is in Homecoming. Like, these enemies that are not really 100% black and white evil, and it makes you think, oh, is it really just as easy as killing this guy? Like, he's not really that bad. He's got a bad way of doing things, and he's hurting people, but he's coming from a right place. He's got the right intentions, just the wrong means. Well, and that's something that Marvel's done a great job of, because even Michael B. Jordan's character in Black Panther... Oh, man, Killmonger's fantastic. Monger, sorry. Yeah, Killmonger. And honestly... I find myself siding more on Killmongers. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm. It's just tough. That's what I'm saying. Even so, with this movie as well as with Black Panther, depending on which way history is written, you know, you can see Thanos being portrayed as a hero just as well as you. If Killmonger would have, you know, succeeded in his quest, he definitely could have been portrayed as a hero. Um the ways that they went about getting there were not always the most um, moral, but but they're relatable. That's, that's they're one not. reason why Marvel. That's something that DC has not done in a long time. They haven't done it since Marvel. you know yeah. the Dark Knight trilogy. Honestly, that was the last yeah. time we saw villains that were at least had some method to their madness. Like I mean, can you say that you know? Justice League had a had an enemy that was Steppenwolf. <laughs> was Steppenwolf complex? And no, Steppenwolf was not complex. Did he have means that were just three boxes, and that's it. I mean, they've done a great job building a universe so far. I mean, fan, it's been ten yeah. years. It's been twelve years. Gonna mm-hmm. be twenty movies after Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, they've already announced. So, and uh, there's more, more down the pipes, but we'll see. Who ends up signing up for new contracts? I, like I said, we're very likely probably going to see the last of uh, Chris Evans' Captain America in this next... I hope not, but I think so too. Unless they're just being secretive and he just doesn't want to be in any standalone movies. He may still be in the ensembles, but I would not be surprised. We could see the end of Captain America at some point because the actors are ready to move on to other projects. And it's been it's been 15 years. I mean, it's a long time to do something. I think you get tired of it. Definitely think that Chris Hemsworth wants to do more Thor movies, especially after working with Taika Waititi. Yeah, I would, I'd be down to see more like on the style of Thor Ragnarok. If that's yeah. the direction he goes, I love that. Yeah, but. I think he hit a stride in that one. So, Alright, I think that's going to wrap us up for Avengers Infinity War. Uh, we're working on setting up an email where you guys can contact us. Um, so for now, Lux, you can you can always hit it uh, since it's technically the Squid Flicks podcast. You can always we've got the at Squid Flicks if you want to drop us a line. We're going to make a dedicated podcast, uh, you know, hotline for you. So send all your hate mail to to at Squid Flicks. Find us on Facebook, Squid Flicks, and uh, the website squidflicks.com slash real talk. Got it all set up for you kids. I love hate mail. If you send us recorded hate mail. <laughs> I will remix it, and we will make it part of our intro. He does podcast. love hate mail. Please send him as much please as possible. Please send me hate mail. And please, I want you people to request the Muscle Country Minute because we want the Muscle Country Minute to happen, and Josh keeps flaking on us. We want it, and we need it. 
and we want to know what you guys want Josh to talk about. What do you want the saddest boy to talk about? Um, Those are the real questions. We're just here to fill in the gaps between muscle country and minutes. That's true. It's a long gap on this one. And this is going to be a longer than usual podcast that we put out. That's a big movie. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff a lot going on. on it. So. And next week we should be releasing the Deadpool 2 review that we're working on. Uh, that'll be significantly shorter. Yes. Much more lighthearted. Yes. Yeah. This, this is a this was a painful movie. This is a movie. Nineteen movies in the making, so you have to give us an extra thirty minutes on this one. I feel like we did pretty decent trying to not have to go. You, it's hard not to explain the movie without having to break down almost every scene. It. It is. Every shot was. It was pretty well executed. There was not really any extra scenes that weren't needed movie i will say that it was dense but every shot was valuable every scene added something to the story so overall i think it was great what would you give it on the squid flicks scale okay so it's technically it's evolved over the years it's you can do a out of five and we can translate it to ten i've always done it out of five and upscaled it to ten i'd probably give it it is a comic book movie and it's going to suffer from if you don't know what you're watching going into it, you're not going to get as much out of it. But if you go into it knowing nothing about it, you can enjoy the technical achievement, the spectacle of the movie, the sound mixing, the acting. is fantastic. It's a very enjoyable blockbuster movie if you knew nothing else was going on. And you probably still have some emotional range from it. So I'd probably give it, honestly, probably like a 4. 4.25 to 4.5. It's pretty damn watchable it is a movie that if you know nothing about it you can enjoy it it's a movie if you know everything about it you'll enjoy it probably more enjoy it more for sure but it's good I think that's the merit of a good movie you can enjoy it regardless of your knowledge of it I think for I would definitely give it at least a 4 out of 5 because one reason I wouldn't go any higher is just that it's a part 1 yeah and it is it's it's only part 1 of the story so we'll I don't know I an update later on but I told you, I'm already a Thanos fan, and I just I know Thanos is not going to be around much longer in the capacity he is, so I'm not really looking forward to part two because they're going to find a way to cheapen part one in some ways. I'm sure it's going to be great, but, yeah, take it for a grain of salt. This will change. We'll see what they do for the for the finale of it for sure because the, the war is still going on. They just lost the first big battle. It's a pretty big battle to lose, but it is a war, so... There's more battles to be fought. All right, guys. Until next time, we're going to sign off. Hit us up with any feedback you have, too. We're all ears. We love you. We love you. Good night.